Amen. Isn't it great to be together this morning? I want to uh, welcome all of you who didn't get the memo that the service started at 1030. (laughs) Welcome to worship. We're glad that you're here. And now we are blessed to be in the Lord's house every Lord's Day, and we give thanks to Him for it. As we look into His Word this morning, we're going to be reading together momentarily from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, we'll read that in a moment. Like a lot of churches during the economic downturn that is now known as the Great Recession a dozen or so years ago, Cross Timbers Community Church in Argyle, Texas had seen a slump in their offerings. But the pastor was more concerned about the families in the congregation who had suffered economic hardships as a result of the recession, jobs loss, job losses, pay cuts, foreclosures, and things such as that. So in March of 2009, he did something a little unusual. Instead of encouraging the church to put more money into the offering plates, he instead encouraged any of those who needed it to take money out of the offering plates. Now, you might think that would only have made the church's budget shortfall worse, but you'd be wrong if you thought that, because the church actually took in the largest offering in their nine-year history that day. People were more than ready to give to those who had needs, ready to make sure that the plate was filled to overflowing as it passed in front of those who were struggling. And they didn't stop giving either. Over the next two months, the church gave over a half million dollars to struggling families both inside and outside of the church. The pastor was interviewed on CNN because of the attention it gathered. He said, in these economic times, we can't be so into church business that we forget what our business is, and that is to help people. When the church decided to be generous, God generously blessed them with what they needed to do it. Jesus tells us that's the way God works. That's how God operates. This morning we're going to take a look at some of Jesus' words in Luke 6 in order to give attention to Jesus' instructions about living generously. So if you found Luke 6, we'll be looking at verses 37 and 38. And if you are able, I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. Luke 6. 37 and 38, giving focus, of course, to verse 38. Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Thank you. Please take your seats as we look at these words in a bit more detail. Now, 
in the last part of that section that we just read, where Jesus said, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, that applies to all of both 37 and 38. It applies to the judging, the condemning, the forgiving, and the giving. Living generously involves giving grace as much as it involves giving money and things, you know, being gracious to others. And even though verse 38 is my focus today, Jesus isn't talking as much about money here as he is talking about our hearts. He's talking about a spirit of generosity that comes from within, that flows outward in our lives to those around us. It's something that both God and others recognize and appreciate. And it causes them to open their hearts to us in response. That's where the TV prosperity preachers get it wrong on verse 38. Or maybe they know it, but they just want to take advantage of the greed in the hearts of their hearers so that they can line their own pockets. I don't know. But this isn't a formula for fortune. Rather, it is a philosophy for fullness in every aspect of the life that God desires for us. A philosophy for fullness. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver in 2 Corinthians 9. That's because God delights more in the generous spirit that motivates generous giving than He does in the giving itself. It's the generous spirit that God recognizes and the generous spirit that God rewards. In his book, The Prodigal God, best-selling author and pastor Tim Keller tells this story. He says, once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So he took the carrot to his king and he said, My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. And the king was touched, and he discerned the man's heart. So as the gardener turned to go, the king said, Wait, wait, wait. You are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so that you can garden all of it. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and he went home rejoicing at what had taken place. But there was a nobleman in the king's court who overheard all of this and he said, my, my, if that's what you get for a carrot, what, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a tall, handsome, black stallion. He bowed low before the king and said, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart, said thank you, took the horse, and merely dismissed him. And the nobleman was perplexed. And so the king said, let me explain to you. He said, that gardener was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. 
God knows our hearts as we give, and He desires that we give out of a spirit of generosity, a spirit of cheerfulness. Now someone's going to say, well then, there's no point in me giving anything until I can do it cheerfully then, right? Well, not so fast. Not so fast. I'll give you two good reasons not to think that way. First, there is value in obedience for obedience's sake. God wants us to be obedient givers even if we can't yet be cheerful givers. Because God rewards obedience as well. I'm going to give you an illustration about that in a few minutes. But that's one reason. A second reason to give is that we can often lead our attitudes with our actions. Have you ever heard it said that you can act yourself into a new way of feeling? There's truth in it. That's particularly true about giving. Jesus tells us to lay up treasure in heaven rather than on earth. Because, as he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So put your treasure where you want your heart to be, and then your heart will follow. That's what Jesus is saying. So even if you can't yet do it cheerfully with a generous spirit, if you will act your way into a new way of feeling, put your treasure where you want your heart to be, your heart will be there. Like those blessings I mentioned last week when I talked about living a life of blessing. You're never going to know how much fun it is, how much joy it can bring in your life until you start to do it. I talked last week about packing those cheer packs for the, the children in Guatemala who have so little. I've been there and worked with those children and I know what a blessing that's going to be to them, the joy that they're going to have when they open up those things. In fact, back in uh, Christmas of 2005, I went all the way to Africa to take gifts at Christmas time to some orphans that we were working with. We had backpacks stuffed to the brim with things that they had communicated they would like to have. And you talk about joy. You talk about fun. We brought them all in together one night with a chair in the middle, and one by one we'd bring them up and sit them down and carry and place in their laps the backpacks full of the things that they had wanted but never in the world imagined they might ever receive. Now that's fun, let me tell you. That is joy. And the joy of living generously is only part of the reward. Jesus characterizes the reward for generosity in the language of abundance. Did you notice? He says, give it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. A good measure, that means plenty will be given, pressed down. I've been filling some holes in my yard this week, and the way you have to do it, you put some dirt in there, and then you go stomp on it and press it down so you can put in some more. That's what Jesus is talking about here, pressed down, shaken together. That's the reason your cereal boxes are only half full. <laughs> Why there are so few potato chips in a potato chip bag. 
they fill them up, but when they ship them, they get shaken together, and so there's room for more. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Shaken together, running over, spilling over, more than can be contained, will be poured into your lap, Jesus says. That's uh, using a, a, a garment as, as a pocket. You know, I think of... Uh, of my grandmother going out to the apple tree and coming back in with her apron, holding her apron full of apples that she had gotten from the apple tree. So much, you can't carry it all. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says God lavishes His abundance on those who live generously, those whose hearts fully belong to Him. He does it both financially and in more important ways as well. I'll give you some examples of that. Uh, in, in my last church, when I got there, the church was just five years old. And they had built a building that they still owed money on. It was new, of course. And uh, we built another bigger building and, well, two more, I guess, over there, bought land. But uh, the church was generous with that. You know, we had, there was a Christian school that had started down the road. They didn't have anywhere to have their assemblies and programs. So they came to our church. We let them use our church for it. Even though there were some folks concerned about what wear and tear that might cause on their shiny new building. But we did it. And we had groups come and want to meet at our place because we built uh, education space, Sunday school rooms. A lot of Newer churches these days only build worship space. They don't build uh, Sunday school rooms. That's sort of a thing of the past, I guess. But we had them, and these small groups wanted to come meet there. So we had a, a group of men, Bible Study Fellowship, if you've heard of that, that would come meet in our facility every Monday night from all over the community. They, some of our folks were in it, but there were many others as well. And then we had a ladies group would come on Wednesday mornings, community Bible study, they called themselves. And they would meet there every Wednesday morning. Lots of folks we didn't know, didn't have relationships with yet. It didn't cause any kind of wear and tear on the building. But as a direct result of that generosity, that, that generous spirit, I know of a $1,500 contribution that was made to the church as a direct result of that. Not only that, I know of a $10,000 contribution that was made to the church as a direct result of that. Not only that, I know of a $25,000 contribution that was made to the church as a direct result of that. God blessed us far more abundantly than anything we gave in utilities or wear and tear on the facility. That's how God works. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. If we do what God wants us to do, God's going to take care of us. He always has. He always will. We needn't worry or be concerned about it. I mentioned the church being in debt when I got there and building those buildings. We had debt most of the time I was there, I guess. Uh, but we paid it off. We started in the fall of each year, we'd have what we call a harvest offering and ask people to bring in 
their overflow, and we put it toward the debt on the building. But when we finished paying off all of that debt, we didn't decide to just keep all of that. We directed that. We still took up the offering, but now we had extra to give to some of the local benevolence agencies and ministries and missions because that's how God works. God is generous that way. Sure, the church had its own budgetary concerns, and a lot of their budget went beyond the church to fund missions, causes, and as local needs, worldly needs. But if we're generous givers, God is going to meet all of our needs and more, because Jesus says so. Give, and it'll be given to you. I want to give you one other example that shows how God not only blesses obedience financially, but in more important ways. And this story is a bit personal. I, I, I'm reluctant even to share it with you out of the fear of it being uh, immodest, but it's, it's too good not to share. God sometimes amazes us, and we need to take note of it when He does. This is the testimony of my parents, actually. Not quite 30 years ago, they were both reaching 60 years of age, and they found themselves needing to move. They had rented where they had lived all of my life, and the acreage with the old farmhouse that they had been renting for the previous 20 years had been sold out from under them and they had to move. But they were in financial straits, I guess you might say. They had to borrow $3,500 in order to buy an old rundown used mobile home to move into. But not much later than that, my father finally told my mother to start giving 10% of his paycheck to the church. He'd never done that before, but he finally did. Now, he didn't yet start attending church with her, mostly out of his own sense of insecurity and self-consciousness, but he was at least able to get obedient with his money for the first time. And God was finally free to bless them financially for being obedient. And their financial lives turned around. I wish they had done it sooner. I wish they had done it while I was still living at home. But God turned their lives around in an incredible way. Now, my father died in the summer of 2007, and my mother two years later in the summer of 2009. And here's how it looked then. When my mother died... She didn't have a single cent of debt. She didn't owe anyone a nickel. Not only that, she owned outright 80 acres of pasture land in Oklahoma. Not only that, she owned outright her home that she had bought in Texas when she moved down there after my father died to be near Paula and me. She didn't owe a cent on it. It was fully paid for. It was the largest, nicest home she'd ever lived in in her life. She had a brand new automobile that she bought with cash. It wasn't a luxury car, but that's not what she wanted. She could have gotten one if she had wanted, but she wanted a little SUV, and so that's what she bought, and she was perfectly happy and content with it. 
and she held the mortgage on our house. We were in debt to her. We were paying her. And not only that, she held the mortgage on three rental properties that she had sold to my brother when my dad died, one of which was that old mobile home that they'd had to borrow money to buy barely 15 years earlier. And she had a nice retirement savings account that she and my father had socked away before my dad died. Now that is a turnaround of biblical proportions. Now your mileage may vary, but God blesses that way. When we decide we're going to be obedient and we're going to give, we're going to follow God's instructions, we're going to do what Jesus tells us, we're going to experience what Jesus tells us we will experience. But as amazing as that financial turnaround was, that's not the really important part. More important than that was the change that God accomplished in their hearts, especially my father's. Now, my mother had been steadily growing into a mature believer for a number of years by then, since I was in high school, actually. And she had prayed through many tears and sleepless nights for my father to be able to stop drinking and get involved in church. I can't tell you what a burden that was on her, but God finally answered her prayers. God finally did it. At the time my father died, my dad had been regularly attending church with her. He had been reading the Bible. He had given up alcohol in part because of the illness that he had developed. You know, God gets it done one way or the other. Nonetheless, he had given that up. He was involved in church. And my mother told me that she would not have traded anything in this world for the last three weeks of my father's life when she cared for him as he was dying. The end of their financial worries, that was a blessing to be sure. But it was all of that, all of the rest, that turned out to be the good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's how God works. Now, I know some of you in here could give similar testimonies. I have no doubt. And if you can't, start giving until you can. Give and it will be given to you, Jesus says. Now, you wouldn't call Jesus a liar, would you? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're such a generous God. We can't begin to count our blessings. We're coming into uh, the month of Thanksgiving when we're supposed to take note of all the things that you've given us, all the blessings that you've showered upon us. God, you have certainly been generous to us no matter what our present state and you've promised us in your word that if we would live generously toward others, not, not just in a financial sense, but in an open-hearted, giving kind of way, eager to help, to minister, to encourage, rather than to fuss and disagree and, and cause strife. 
that you will bless us for it. If we do not judge, we will not be judged. If we don't condemn, we won't be condemned. If we forgive, we will be forgiven. And if we give, you give to us in abundance beyond measure. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts in this time of reflection that we enter into, that you would convince us of the truth of your promises and your word, and may we commit ourselves to being obedient, not just for obedience's sake, but for the joy that it brings in us. Make it so, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.